Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant, law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face, but whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in the letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious... How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ it is taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory of being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Molly. Thank you, Brandon, for reading our scripture for us today. The almighty and eternal God of the universe, he who created and sustains everything everywhere, he is a missionary God. He is a God who has a mission. He goes about his mission. He is constantly carrying out his mission at all times around the world. And for those of us who have turned our lives to him in faith, we've entrusted ourselves to him, he invites us in that same mission together with him. And his mission is to fill the entire world 
with his glory. Now, if I wanted to fill this room or any other space with my own glory, that would be incredibly egotistical and vain of me to make that kind of declaration. But as Molly read in the Exodus verses, as we see what God's glory actually is, then we see what it is that he wants to fill the world with. So if you'll go there with me, if you'll look in the Exodus 33 verses that Molly read, let's look at these together a little bit and see exactly what God's glory is that he's wanting to fill the world with. So there's several verses. It's a long passage, and so I've, I've just picked out several of the highlights. So we'll start at verse 18 in chapter 33. Moses makes this incredibly bold request of the Lord. He's talking to God up on the mount, mountain on the Sinai Peninsula, and he says, Now show me your glory. That's the request of Moses. Show me your glory. He's speaking to God. And now listen to God's response. So Moses asked to see God's glory, and this is how God responds to that bold request. He says, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. And so then he describes, look, there's this special place. There's kind of this cutout spot on this rock. You can kind of back into it a little bit. I will come down. I'll put my hand in front of you, and I'll begin to pass by. And as I pass by, I will proclaim my glory before you, and I'll remove my hand, and you'll be able to see me on the way out. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. That is God's definition of his own glory to the request of Moses to be shown his glory. So skipping ahead into verse 34, um, we'll look at verse 5. It says, so the Lord came down in the cloud, and he stood there with Moses, and he proclaimed his own name. I tried to think this morning of some way that I could do this where it wouldn't be completely cheesy and there's just not a way to do it. So you just have to use your imagination. My voice is not going to do anywhere the justice that it, would, that, that it deserves. But if you could imagine standing on the mountain, you've asked to see the Lord's glory. The, glory, the Lord has said, okay. I mean, that's amazing in and of itself. And then he himself comes down and then he pronounces his own name. For the ears of Moses to hear. Down in the valley where all the rest of the Israelites were gathered, they would later say it sounded like there was thunder on the mountain. But Moses heard the name of the Lord from the mouth of the Lord. He said, Yahweh, Yahweh, the ancient Hebrew name for the Lord, God. If you look in, in your scripture, I don't know how it's listed in your Bible, in mine, uh, it's, it has the word LORD in all capital letters. L-O-R-D is in all capital letters. Anytime you see in an English Bible that it says LORD, capital L-O-R-D, it's referring to this personal, private name that God uses for himself. Um, that's when he states who he is. It uses that all capital letters. And then later you'll see LORD, capital L, with the lowercase O-R-D, that would be more like how we would use the word Lord, like a leader, a ruler, someone who's in command, in charge. Um, so here the Lord comes down. He pronounces his name before Moses. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Unpunished, He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. And then he passes on. 
So Moses makes this bold request. Now, Lord, show me your glory. And God says, all right. (laughs) He says, yes. He says, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you, Moses. And what he sets up is an opportunity for him to pronounce his own name for Moses' ears to hear. And then for him to give just a short little paragraph, it's his self-description, his self-revelation of himself, God describing himself before Moses. And listen to how he describes himself, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, but not leaving the guilty unpunished, um, carrying it out to the children, the fourth and fifth generation, third, third and fourth generation. So as we see God's self declaration of his own glory, his own goodness, what he describes as all of his goodness passing before Moses, this is what comprises the goodness of God. Loving kindness, generosity, compassion, faithfulness, abounding faithfulness and abounding love, forgiveness. And yet in the second paragraph or the second part of the paragraph, we even see that there's elements of of holiness, of righteousness, that he cannot leave the guilty unpunished. So there's a sense of justice in all the goodness of God. Do you see these characteristics? God says, I will cause all of my goodness to pass before you, Moses. He describes, he defines that goodness. And this is his answer to Moses' request to see the glory of the Lord. Well, you heard the story described. Um, Moses comes down from the mountain. He's describing for the Israelites what he's experienced, what he's seen. He doesn't realize it. But everyone is kind of backing away from him and afraid. And finally they tell him it's because you're all shiny, Moses. Your face is bright and you're kind of freaking us out here. So he just, you know, comes up with this solution. He rips off a piece of tent or fabric or whatever he's got laying around there in the desert. And he makes a little veil for himself so that it can hang down in front of his face. So that when he goes and talks to the people, they won't be so scared of what they're seeing. And then it says that whenever he goes back into the special tent, the special tabernacle, wherever he will meet with God, he removes the veil and he would meet with God there. He would talk with them. He would represent the people before him. And then before he would go back out to speak with the people, he would put the veil back on. Can you imagine Moses is about 80 at this point. Can you imagine an 80 year old man wearing a veil? I mean, my only experience of a veil is like what the bride wears on her wedding day. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know if that's a good picture of what was actually happening or not. But he comes out and he speaks to the people and he has this veil hanging down over his face because they are afraid to see God's glory and he doesn't know what to do with it. He doesn't know what to do with the glory of the Lord radiating off of his face. And so the best thing he comes up with is, well, I'll just hide it. I'll just hang a veil over my face so that it doesn't have to shine out and nobody, can be, nobody has to be bothered by it. So then Brandon read us these, these verses from 2 Corinthians. Fast forward about 1,500 years, all right? Jesus has come. He's lived his life. He's uh, died on the cross. He's been raised from the dead. And we're, we're a few years on from that, two or three decades on from that. And this man that Jesus called to be his representative all around the, the Mediterranean Sea at that time, this man named Paul, Paul goes all over the the Mediterranean Sea, the coast there, planting churches, spreading the news about Jesus and God's love demonstrated through the world, to the world through Jesus. And now all these churches are planted and it's several years later and now he's writing letters back to all these churches addressing things that they're dealing with, questions they're asking him, things they don't understand, problems they're having in their churches. 
And Paul is commenting on this story from Exodus 33. It's in 2 Corinthians. He's writing to the church he planted in the city of Corinth. Let me find it in my Bible. And he comments on this story, and he says, Now the ministry that brought death, which was engraved on letters of stone. What's he referring to there? And you can talk back to me, it's okay. The Ten Commandments. So that's the context of the, is, of the Exodus story. That's the reason Moses is on the mountain with God anyway, is because God wants to present to him these commandments for how to interact with, with God and with others. Um, sort of these standards for holy living that he wants to give to the people. You may remember that when, he first, when God first gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, Moses came down from the mountain. He's been up there for 40 days and 40 nights. He finds all the people are having this huge party. They've all brought together all their jewelry, all their necklaces and earrings and their bracelets. They've melted them all down. They made them into this little baby cow. And they're now having like this giant worship party all around the cow saying, the cow's the one who delivered us from, from slavery in Egypt. The cow's the one who led us on dry land through the Red Sea. Let's worship the cow. Um, Moses comes down, he is, he is livid. I mean, I can't even put to words how angry he is. And he takes st- stone tablets inscribed with the finger of God and he smashes them down before the people. He's very, very angry. <laughs> um, he has this moment of discipline with all the people. And then God says, well, all right, take two. You got to come back up on the mountain to get a second set of Ten Commandments. And that's where Moses asked to see the Lord's glory. So Paul is now saying, if the Ten Commandments... If that which was inscribed on stone and ultimately brought about death, because no one on earth can, can follow the commandments of God faultlessly in their own strength, by their own power. And because God is a just God, because he's holy and righteous, because he cannot leave the guilty unpunished, the law that was inscribed, inscribed on stone brings about our death. And Paul says, if that law came with glory, such glory that when Moses encountered it, his face was all bright and shiny. How much more glorious is the new law brought by the Spirit through the life of Jesus, whose perfect life accomplishes the requirements, fulfills the requirements of that first law on our behalf for us? How much more glorious will it be? How much more glorious will that be? And he says, he says in 2 Corinthians here, so much more glorious that we remove the veil. We can't hide this. We can't keep this pinned down. We can't keep this light from shining out. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians. Let's, let's look at verse 12, Madison. We're going to go to verse 12. Therefore, we have such a hope and we are very bold. He's thinking back to Moses. Moses' bold request to see the glory of the Lord. He says, we are very bold, but we are not like Moses because he kept a veil over his face. Instead, skipping down to um, uh, verse 16, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. There's two veils that Paul is referring to here. One is the veil that sort of hides the glory and sort of insulates the person who's experienced God's glory from everyone else. The other veil, you may remember, was this giant thick curtain that hung down in the temple, the old Hebrew temple, that separated kind of the presence of God from all the people. 
And only one person could go in there behind the veil one time a year. It was the high priest, basically the holiest human being they could find, would go in there once a year and he would offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people and in hopes that they would be redeemed and, and be atoned for for the next year until the next man could go in there and do that. Well, this Friday, we celebrate Good Friday. You may recall from growing up or from hearing it or reading it recently, or you may not know, that when Jesus died on the cross, when he actually breathed his last breath and his moment of death came on the cross, miraculously, unexplainably, unexplainably, that giant, thick, huge curtain in the uh, veil in the temple was ripped in half from the top to the bottom. It was about 30 or 40 feet tall. (laughs) No person could do it. The the fabric was about three inches thick. It split down the middle and ripped. The veil that separated the presence of God from the people of God was torn and ripped apart the moment Jesus died on our behalf and fulfilled all the requirements of the law. Isn't that amazing? So there's two veils. There's the veil we put on here because we don't know what to do with God's glory. We have this great experience with the Lord. We encounter him. He's there. He's awesome. He's talking to us. We asked him a question and he said, yes. I mean, this is incredible. Now our faces are shiny, but we don't know what to do with it. So we cover it up so we don't really freak anybody out. And then there's this other veil that kind of stands as the separation between the holiness of God and the unholiness of people. And in the sacrificial death of Jesus, it's ripped apart and ripped away. And that which separates holy God and unholy people, they're brought together through Christ. It's awesome. So he says, the veil is, only, is, is not removed unless Christ takes it away. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And now the Lord who is the Spirit... Um, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And then verse 18, here's our verse. And we, who with unveiled faces, we take the veil away, all contemplate or all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. So what's the glory of God? It's all his goodness. It's his faithfulness, his abounding love, his compassion, It's also his his sense of justice, of righteousness, of holiness. We are being transformed by his spirit into that same type of glory. We get to be sharers, partakers in the glory of God together with him. We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I hope you guys love God's word. I love the Bible. <laughs> I love it. I hope you guys love it. I hope you cherish it. I hope you treasure it for the just immense value it has. I hope you keep a copy of it in your car or at your desk, um, in your home, on your bedside table, on the kitchen table, somewhere where it gives you easy access. I was talking to a, um, a member at the church here earlier this week, and he said that he just recently got a new job um, where he um, was working on the on the floor, basically, and now he's, he's at a desk. And he said, I've got a desk. <laughs> and, and he said, I've been reading my Bible every day during my break. He said, I just, I just keep my Bible open on my desk. And he even did his hands like this. He said, it stays there, and it's open. And when I have a break, I just pull it to me, and I read the next few verses or chapter, you know, and flip the page. And, and then when my break's over, I push it away and go back to my work. I love that. 
Um, I heard about a mom who keeps a Bible in her car, and uh, every day when she goes to pick up her son from his elementary school, you know, she's got to get there early to get the parking place, to get in line, and she's going to wait for 20 or 30 minutes. And so she just reaches over after she parks and pulls the Bible out and reads it every day. That's her time to read God's Word. I hope you love God's Word. I hope you read it every single day. Um, I was thinking, if, if we encountered like a time of severe persecution and all our Bibles were like confiscated from us or something and we could only have one page from the Bible to keep before our Bibles were taken away from us, I would keep Romans chapter 8. I'd want the page with Romans chapter 8 on it. Um, in the book of Romans in chapter 8, it's so rich, it's so full. It tells us all about our salvation in Jesus, not just the saved from sins and rescued from hell part, but, but the full life of salvation in Jesus, that we are empowered to live for him and his goodness, that he puts his spirit in our lives, that his spirit actually affirms in our own souls and hearts that we are the beloved children of God. I mean, it is a beautiful, beautiful chapter of Scripture, Romans chapter 8. And in that chapter, he talks about this very thing. He talks about the glory of God. I just want to read a couple of verses from the middle of that chapter for you. Starting with what I put up there, Romans 15, so 8, 15. So starting with verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit, with a little s, that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit, capital S, of sonship or daughtership, or childhood. You receive the spirit of sonship, and by him, that spirit, capital S, we can cry, Abba, Daddy, Papa, Father. The spirit himself testifies within our own spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Does that make sense? Because if you are the child of someone... And they pass on and they have a will and you are the heir in their will. So if we are children together by God's spirit with Jesus, then we are heirs. We, we are written into the inheritance. If we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We share in his glory. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. In verse 19, the creation, the whole world waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. We have a prayer time here at church every Thursday at noon. Um, all of our staff come, but it's not just a staff thing. Uh, anyone's welcome to come. It's an open prayer time. Uh, it's a time of, of praying together, of reading scripture, and of listening. We do listening prayer, which means we just kind of sit quietly with the Lord, and we ask him to speak to us and show us things in his word, pull out words or phrases or insights that he wants us to see. And this past Thursday, um, a small group of us were meeting and praying, praying over these scriptures for this morning, and the word uh, unveiling came out. Um, you know, last year, if you've been around a little while, the, the focus of 2017 was awakening. Uh, our focus this year is harvest. But the person said, you know, I feel like God um, spent last year waking us up, <laughs> just getting our eyes open and our hearts awake. And then he said, now that I read these verses, I, I sense that there's an unveiling taking place. And I love this verse 19. Well, so verse 17 says, we're children, we're heirs, heirs with God, 
uh, co-heirs with Christ. We share in his sufferings. We also share in his glory. So think of Moses coming down from the mountain, shiny face. Verse 19, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Or you could say, unveiled. (laughs) Moses is on the mountain with God and he says, now show me your glory. And God says, okay, I will... I will unveil my goodness before you, Moses. Moses sees it. It's awesome. I can't imagine how incredible that was. (laughs) He goes down from the the mountain. All the people see that same glory in Moses. He doesn't know what to do with it, so he covers it up. Paul writes to us in 2 Corinthians, and he says, In Christ, the veil in the temple and the veil that separates the glory of God from the people of God is removed And everyone who's turned to faith in him has that same veil removed. And now in Romans, it tells us that the whole creation is waiting to see that revelation. All the world is longing, is waiting in eager expectation. Even when they don't know it, they are longing and waiting and hoping and desiring to see the revelation of God. The unveiling of his glory through us through his people. Um, Worship team, you guys can come on. Um, If you are part of our prayer ministry, I would invite you to come forward. Um, We have this moment in the service every week where we give you the opportunity just to listen to God and to respond to whatever he is telling you to do, to think, to change, to be, to commit to. Our worship team is going to lead us in a song. We have several people who are going to come and pray um, from the microphone. But I would invite all of us to be in prayer during these moments. Um, prayer team members, if you guys would come on forward, we will have people across the front of the room who are trained and ready to receive you and pray with you. If there's something that God is stirring in your heart or doing in you this morning, um, and you just need to share it with someone else, ask someone to join you in prayer, um, they are here to receive you in doing that. So I want to read one more scripture before we sing. It's from Isaiah chapter 60. It's the first three verses. It says, Arise, shine, your light has come. Isaiah's writing to God's people. He's writing to people like us who have faith in God. He says, you arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you, people of God. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. Verse two, see, darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness is over the peoples who do not know the Lord. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. And so the nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Some translations say the brightness of your arising, like the sun rising at dawn. And some translations say kings will come to the brightness of your revealing or unveiling. We're going to stand and and sing. The words will be on the screen. You're invited to pray uh, at your seat. You're invited to pray at the front. You're invited to pray together with those who are going to come to this microphone and offer prayers. 
Let's commit ourselves to removing the veil from our faces in Jesus' name.